You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. We, re- we rejoice with the Beard family and Nora and Rose and uh, just so excited for what God's doing in your life and your proclamation of who he is. Thank you, sir. And um, man, God is at work in our students. We're so excited about that. I, I came on campus last night and saw some dodgeball. I think the winners understood they needed a dodge, duck, dip, and dodge and dive or something like that. Anyway, um, it was awesome to see our students here. And I ask you uh, to be praying for our students as they have their disciple now coming up in just a few weeks. And uh, if you are a teenager, uh, that's gonna take place the first weekend in November and you can still sign up. Or if you know someone, uh, you can sign them up. And just be praying for our students in general because as we talk about uh, just the different things, thank you again, sir, the different things going on uh, in this world, our, our student leaders, teachers are trying to help our students really understand their identity in Christ, and so uh, just be in prayer for them uh, continually. Uh, Today, speaking of that, we are beginning a teaching series that we are calling Clarity as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through chapter 6, verses 9 over the next several weeks. And and in these verses, Paul gives instructions uh, to the church in Ephesus regarding relationships that were common in their day. Greek philosopher Aristotle uh, taught on social codes and said that there are three relationships that must be examined. The master and slave, the father and child, and the husband and wife. Paul addresses a context that was heavily influenced by him, Aristotle, and further Greek philosophy regarding those three relationships. Now, while there are absolutely some things that have changed since Paul wrote this letter, The truths inspired by God have not changed. And this passage is very applicable to us today. We are going to begin where Paul begins by looking at the marriage relationship. This is certainly an area where there is a great lack of clarity in our day. In their 2010 book, God, Marriage, and Family, Rebuilding the Biblical Foundation, Andreas Kustenberger and David Jones wrote, For the first time in its history, Western civilization is confronted with the need to define the meaning of of the terms marriage and family. What until now has been considered a normal family made of a father, mother, and a number of children has in recent years begun to be viewed as one among several options. There are a lot of opinions on the definition of marriage today. And an increasing number of people, even those who would profess to be Christians, view biblical marriage as outdated and exclusive. But I would would suggest that the Bible is timeless and that we exclude ourselves from it and what God promises to us. In the book, The Meaning of Marriage, and and I have a copy of that with me. It's a book by Timothy Keller and his wife, Kathy Keller. Uh, And it's a phenomenal book. It helped me a lot in understanding how to articulate the things of marriage in terms of the big idea of marriage. And in this book, uh, Timothy Keller says, in the Bible, you have teaching that has been tested by millions of people over centuries of time and in multiple cultures. 
do we have any other resource on marriage like that? So there's a lot of ways that you can learn about marriage and get guidance from your marriage, but in the Bible, you have a teaching that has been tested by millions of people over centuries, over millennia, and in multiple cultures, there is no other resource on marriage like the Bible. So what we are going to do over the next three weeks is we are going to look at Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 through 33. So really, I realized the sermon would be about two hours long, so I broke it into three for you. And so we're gonna focus in on the instructions to wives next week. And then in the third week and last week, we'll wrap up with men, which might be unwise since we men tend to stop listening about halfway through any instructions we're given, uh, but we'll still close there. And I'm gonna sit down for the majority of today, which is hard for me, but the reason I'm doing that is because I realize that these are sensitive things that we are talking about, and that some of you are very sensitive about this. And I want you to understand, I'm not trying to lecture you. I just wish that I had the opportunity to sit down with you face to face and show you what God has to say. And we're not putting heavy burdens on you and saying, okay, now go and figure it out. In fact, if you received the bulletin when you walked in this morning, there is a QR code in there. And if you will scan your bulletin, that QR code in the bulletin, it will take you to a page on our website that has a list of marriage books and resources, has a list of counselors who we know uh, counsel from a Christian perspective in this area. And... Um, it even uh, mentions that this Wednesday and November 1st, because in between there is the fall festival, which you're already signed up to serve at, uh, uh, on those Wednesdays, we actually uh, have a class that will be designed towards follow-up uh, regarding what we're talking about uh, today. And so uh, we would encourage you to participate in that. And then as I say all this, as I begin to talk about this right now, um, I am aware of several marriages in our church that are under attack. And I know that in a church our size and with the people watching online this morning that there are many more people who they're going through a difficulty. And I just wanna pray for us as we, we really begin to dive into this this morning. So if you'd pray with me. God, we're all very aware of what's going on in our world and um, the people of Israel are on our hearts and uh, the conflict that is there and the different nuances of that are on our hearts. And um, God, we ultimately pray for peace um, because we know that's who you are and you desire peace. And as we think about a conflict that might be closer to home, a battle that might be closer to home in terms of marriage, I pray for the same thing. I pray for the God of peace to be at work. And I pray that people in this room would know the power of your Holy Spirit, the power of your word, and it would transform them. And so maybe today someone feels like it's over. Maybe someone today feels like they are worthless. God, I just pray that you would meet them where they are and speak to them. And I pray that you would use your time, our time and your word today to make us more like you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, verse 21 is where we're going to start. And it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I chose to include verse 21 in this because it is important to know the thought that Paul conveys immediately before giving instructions to wives and husbands. Our submission to one another in any capacity as a Christian is in reverence for Christ. Reverence means fear. 
We don't use that word anymore because we have lost its meaning, but it's healthy. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all understanding. And a significant reason the verses I am about to read are hard to live by is because we don't have a fear of God that leads to our understanding and submission. And so it's with an understanding that God deserves that kind of reverence that we ought to approach verses 22 through 33. And I'll read them now. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Today, as we begin these three weeks in these verses, I want to make sure that we have the big picture here. So I want to examine the goal of marriage and then talk about why reaching that goal is challenging and conclude with some steps we can take to begin or continue on that goal. Now, before I do that, let me acknowledge that there are singles in the room. You don't have to get married ASAP. You don't have to get married ever if you don't have that desire. The Bible does speak to a call to singleness. Let me just say this, though. The call to singleness is always associated with serving people more, not serving people less. It's not associated with doing more of what I want to do. It's associated more with doing more of what God would have for me to do. And so often in the Bible, the call to be single was connected to the call to be a martyr uh, or to be someone who devoted their life to the church. And so if you are called to be single, this series matters to you because of how many married people you will serve and because of the implications of a lot of the things we're talking about on every area of our life. Most of you will get married or get married again, and this scripture is really important to you because single ladies in this room need to understand you need to marry a man you can help, not a man you have to fix. And so you want to marry someone whose aim is in the same direction as yours, whose goal is the same as yours. I know so many women in their 30s and 40s who realized they couldn't save him. They couldn't fix him. And it has led to so much heartache in their life. And I know a lot of men who now realize that maybe there is something besides physical beauty that actually matters in marrying a woman. And so um, I would say to you that even if you're single, this matters a lot to you. So what we need to understand is where we should be heading when it comes to our marriage. I am old enough to remember getting in the car with my parents, heading out on a road trip, and then pulling out a bunch of these big things. 
And so they would have like drawn out on the map like the, the direction that we're gonna go in, right? And, and you might have to have multiple of these. And so like this is for segment one and this is segment two. And so you, you had to plan out and draw out where you're going. And if you were bougie, you went to AAA and they did it for you. Um, but uh, that was what you had to do before you get in the car. You had to know how to get where, this is really big, so I'm just gonna move it over here, where you were going and how to get there. And when it comes to marriage, we need to understand where we are going and how to get there. So I, I wanna begin by talking about the purpose of marriage. And Ephesians chapter five, verse 31 and 32 tell us the purpose of marriage. Verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is echoing the first beginnings of man's relationship with one another in Genesis and what God says as he creates man and woman. Verse 32 says, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Here we see the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is to be a picture of Christ and the church. The purpose of marriage is to be a picture of Christ and the church. As you think about this being the destination, remember the verses that precede this section. We read them last week, Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 15 means that we need to watch the direction that we are going. We need to ensure that we are heading in the right way. Verse 16 through 18 emphasizes the temptation of these days to cause us to make foolish choices that derail us from that direction and destination. And verses 18 through 21 tell us that ultimately we need to be in submission to Christ in all areas of our life. Last week I said, turn to the Lord's wisdom. Be influenced most by him. Recognize and proclaim his goodness and honor him as Lord in every relationship and you will bring heavenly value to these worldly days. Understand that this is the context in where Paul turns to these common relationships. This is when Paul begins to give instructions on marriage. Paul is giving the marriage talk on the heels of his writing about ensuring our lives are set up to imitate God. A Christ-centered marriage involves two people who allow their eternal relationship to guide their earthly relationships. A Christ-centered marriage involves two people who allow their eternal relationship to guide their earthly relationships. Therefore, our love and commitment should not be based on the condition of our spouse, but on the call of God. We do not view people for what they can give us, we view them in light of what Christ has given us. God has given us marriage. Again, there's a lot of debate about that, even among Christians, because nobody reads their Bible. But God gave it to us, according to Genesis chapter two, to meet a need. 
He gave us marriage because he loved us. And this is the foundation for marriage, that it belongs to him, that it is his, and therefore I need to submit it to him. And Paul is saying people see Christ when we treat marriage this way. And so the purpose of marriage is to be a picture of Christ and the church. But the problem is we pull out this map, right, this big old map, and we're following our direction. Some of you are much younger than me. You don't know what this is. It's a map. Uh, and we have road atlases. And so we're following the direction, right, that it says, and then we come to a detour. We didn't know that detour was going to happen. Or construction that seems to delay us for hours. And so we didn't know that was going to happen. And so, you know, we don't know what to do. And, you know, we're 14 years old in the passenger seat and our parents are yelling at us. Sorry, that was some therapy there for me. And we're trying to figure out how we need to get where we're going to go. And this is, this is what happens in marriage, we have the destination, we have how to get there, and then we hit these detours, we hit these obstacles, and it becomes challenging for us. And so I wanna talk about the challenge of marriage. The goal of Christianity is for our lives to be under Jesus' lordship and direction. And Christ is sanctifying us. That's a theological word that means he's setting us apart. He's making us more like him. We get to become more like Christ. That sounds great, right? But the process isn't as simple or as easy as we'd like it to be. Sure, there's times that we read the Bible or we hear the sermon and we read it and we're like, yeah, I need to do that. And we start doing it and that's awesome. But it often doesn't work that way. Sometimes our parents or someone else has to say the same thing over and over and over again. Can I get an amen, parents? Until we finally get it and say, yeah, I probably need to change. I probably need to do that. Or maybe sometimes we have to hear ourselves say something, and when we say it, we're like, oh, wow, that was stupid. I'm off track. That's not good. I need to change. Or sometimes we experience consequences, and they motivate us to realize the consequences are gonna be worse if I don't change this about myself. And relationships are also a way that God sanctifies us, that God shows us our need to change. We are trying to be at peace with someone. We're trying to work with someone. We're trying to be unified, and we realize, hey, I have to change in order for that to happen. And no relationship will bring you face to face with your need to become more like Christ than your marriage. No relationship will bring you face to face with your need to become more like Christ than your marriage. God is sanctifying you and he is using your marriage to do this. He is using your marriage to make you become more like Christ. And it's not always easy. Now, this is rarely what brings us into marriage. I cannot remember doing premarital counseling and hearing a groom-to-be say, I cannot wait till the stresses of life bring out the worst in us and we desperately turn to God. I have never heard a bride-to-be saying, I am looking forward to fully loving and giving to my person even though 
they won't change the one thing I asked them to do hundreds of times over a decade. I've never heard in, in people writing their wedding vows someone say, I can't wait until you cause me to find out if Jesus was being literal when he told Peter he had to forgive 490 times. <laughs> so we don't know that this is what it's really gonna look like, but this is the reality of marriage. Now, we like the idea that we have it together, that we have things figured out. And marriage is a mirror of truth. And it shows us who we are. And it reveals how much further we have to go in applying the sermon that we are preaching. It reveals how much further we have to go in doing what the Bible study we are reading says. It reveals how much further we have to go in getting to where that person we see as an example of where we want to be is. But don't be mistaken. Marriage doesn't create your weaknesses. It reveals them. The meaning of marriage, that's something that Timothy Keller says. Marriage doesn't create your weaknesses. It reveals them. And maybe this morning, just, just hear me out. If you're watching online or listening online, maybe it's not so much that we are frustrated with our spouse, but that we are frustrated by what we see in the mirror of marriage. Maybe our frustration is that we are realizing how truly uncooperative we are. Maybe it's that we see how self-centered we really are. Maybe it's we're recognizing our lack of intentionality in our life. And these are the challenges that present themselves. So we've, we've got the map out. We know where we're headed. The purpose of, of marriage is to be a picture of the Christ in the church. But we, we, we know that we come to these detours and these obstacles. They're going to come. That's the challenge of marriage. Becoming more like Christ. And so now I want to talk about the work of marriage. And I want to share three things about the work of marriage that are a mindset that we should embrace as we maybe enter into marriage or as we continue in marriage. The first of those three things, or A, is don't deal with your frustrations with your spouse without first dealing with what you see in the mirror. Don't deal with your frustrations with your spouse without first dealing with what you see in the mirror. I'm not saying that your spouse doesn't have issues. I am just saying, so do you. So do you. It's amazing to me how often in marriage counseling, when I meet with a couple, someone initiates it, and it's, all, it's, about, it's usually prompted by the problems that the other person has. And we get there, and we start to talk about it and realize, you, know, you have a lot of issues too. And I know there are examples of severity where, you know, one person is really a problem. Those, those do exist. But nine times out of ten, it's two people who have issues, and they're focusing on the issues of their spouse more than they're focusing on the issues of themselves. Maybe you have a non-believing spouse. Chances are, maybe you didn't know what you, then what you know now. You didn't really have anybody challenging you on, hey, does this person really exhibit fruit of Christ, even though they claim the name of Jesus? And, and so you're in this place where your spouse really doesn't share the passion for God and the things of God the way you do. 
and, and, and that's reality. But I would ask you, are you reflecting Christ to them? And you need to deal with that first. And the scripture actually instructs us on that. Maybe you're divorced. And I would just ask you the question, what have you learned now? Because what I've noticed is a lot of people get divorced and they get remarried and they end up back in the same place because they think the problem was all their spouse and the decisions about their spouse or, or they make the same kind of decisions about who their next spouse will be that they did in the first place. What have you learned? I've even heard of people who their second marriage is great and glorious and, and sometimes they're tempted to think the problem was the first spouse but the reality is they've grown a lot. And they've changed. And that's part of why they're in the position they're in now. Look, divorce is usually not the problem, but the fruit of the problem. It's a mistake that was made going into marriage or during marriage or on the way out. What have you learned? Maybe you're in a difficult season in your marriage. And you're struggling. And I would just ask you, have you asked God what you can change? what you need to work on, instead of always looking to what the problem is with them. Are you submitting to Christ in this? It's, it's football season, and I, I, like, I enjoy watching football, and something you'll notice happens all the time in football is the quarterback will make a throw, and he'll either throw it a little too high or a little too low or lead him a little too much or throw him behind, and yet it still catches the, it hits the receiver's hands, right, and the receiver drops it. Well, whose fault is it? Well, it's the quarterback's fault, that he didn't throw it right in the spot he needed to throw it in, and it's the receiver's fault that it hit his hands and he didn't catch it because he's, you know, that good enough. He's that good. He should be catching it. It's both. And in marriage, we have to say, what can I do differently so that we aren't in the position that we're in and so that I can work on what I need to work on? Deal with what you see in the mirror before you deal with your frustrations for your spouse. Next, marriage takes... More than good intentions, it takes intentionality. Marriage takes more than good intentions, it takes intentionality. So when I started driving, um, I didn't have to use the roadmap anymore. What we did is we went on Expedia or Yahoo, we printed out 33 pages of step-by-step -step directions before we got in the car. So before me, you had to have the map and you have to figure out where you're going before you get in the car. My generation, we had to print out the directions so that we knew where we were going. Beyond me, the generation below me, they don't have to know anything. They just get in the car, grab this and say, tell me how to get to Taco Bell or whatever, I don't know. You know, tell me how to get wherever, it, I don't know why I said Taco Bell, but you know, tell me how to get wherever it might be. And that may not be that big of a deal, but what I have noticed amongst people in their 30s, 20s, is that correlates to every area of their life. It affects their work. And so they know they wanna be somewhere, they wanna do something, something's coming up, but they're not thinking ahead. It affects their professional career. And I even see this in people who are older because that's the culture we live in as well today. And please listen to me. If you're younger or you're older and you want a great godly marriage, you can't just get in the car and say, we'll figure it out. You have to think about what it takes to get there.
And it takes more than good intentions. It takes intentionality. Whenever God first brought me to this church, um, in the first year, I formed uh, a vision task force. And the purpose of this group, kind of all age groups and people who've been here a while and people who are new, were to say, what is great about our church? What might need to change about our church? And I remember Sandy Sims, who was on that task force, saying, one of the challenges of our church is we have a lot of good-intentioned, good-hearted people, but we're not very intentional as a church. And she said, it takes more than good intentions. It takes intentionality to do the things that we know we're called to do. In every wedding just about that I officiate, I say something to the effect of what you are declaring right now, you must renew and redecide tomorrow. The natural direction of anyone in this world is not towards Christ-likeness. It's not towards evangelism and it's not towards a marriage that is a picture of Christ in the church. Let me, let me just share a few quick thoughts about intentionality in marriage. In Colossians 3 verse 14, Paul says to put on love. We have to think about love like we're putting on our clothes in the morning. We have to decide, I am going to love the people in my home and the people outside of my home. We have to put on love. In, in the book, His Needs, Her Needs, there's this idea of the love bank and the concept that uh, we are making investments and withdrawals in people. And we have to think about that, that if we're always taking from someone, then are we really building a healthy foundation? And I'm saying that in the marriage relationship, that is the place we are most inclined to take, 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 and never give. Another thing is we need other couples in our lives. We need older couples and we need peers who can identify with the struggles we're going through. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. We need believing couples who want the same goal for their marriage surrounding us. And then as a couple, we have to spend time together. And we have to make the time together. I don't know about you, but Chrissy and I are in that season of life. That's, it's crazy. I, it's funny because we talk to preschool parents, having gone from that season of life, and we'll talk about how that's physically exhausting, but as your kids get older, it's mentally exhausting and logistically exhausting. And then we realize, oh, we still have preschoolers, so we're still in both seasons of life. And so we have to find time together because the, the rhythms of our life will take that time from us. And I have said jokingly, but also not, about when Christy and I would go on a date, which we try to do, or we go away, which we try to do. I'm like, we, when we do that, we remember we like each other. Like, we really do enjoy being around each other. And I would just say to you this about intentionality. In marital counseling, I usually ask the couples that I'm doing counseling with to give me a budget to agree upon a budget, and, and they will make beautiful Excel spreadsheets of their budgets, and then I notice in a year they're not following it. It is one thing to say, this is my plan. It's another thing to actually do it. <laughs> it takes more than intentionality. I mean, it takes more than just good intentions. It takes intentionality. And C, the last thing I would say here about the work of marriage is to turn to God's word when things are difficult. Marriage doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. And when you get married, you've gotten into something that was invented by him. And if we determine to run our marriage our way, we're in for a lot of trouble. Remember the verses preceding this. I want you to think about these words when you are in a difficult season in marriage. Ephesians 5.15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. We have to pay attention to the direction of our life. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The days are gonna 
naturally cause us to drift away from the direction that God has for our life. We've got to redeem that time. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We cannot trust in our feelings and in the moment, we have to turn to the wisdom of the Lord. And verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. When you're in a difficult season, you're going to turn somewhere. Some turn to drugs, alcohol, and prescription medication to ease the pain of the season they're in. Some turn to their phone to escape the reality that they're in. Some turn to another person who makes them feel different. Some turn to another identity that becomes the basis of their self-worth. When you are in a difficult season, turn to God. He is the motivation that we need. Verse 21 again, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is bigger than marriage. This is about what God wills to do through you. It's about his desire for marriage and your life. So turn to him, let him guide it. And I know that I have friends in this room or watching online who practice otherwise. Maybe it's affirming or practicing homosexuality. Maybe it's divorce for non-biblical reasons. Maybe it's roles in your marriage that are defined by today and not by the Bible. Maybe you're cohabitating or whatever. I, I don't think less of you. But I do want what is best for you. You don't offend me. But you are in or going to enter in this marriage thinking you know better than God. And he's way wiser than you. He's way better than you. And he loves you more than you love yourself. He designed it. He should be in charge. And you might be thinking, well, we're fine. We're doing fine. I'm doing fine. Don't evaluate your marriage or anything based on where you are right now. Evaluate it based on where you are headed with people who are further down the road. Don't evaluate your marriage or, or any area of your life based on where you are right now. Evaluate it based on where you are headed with people who are further down the road. If you've ever traveled to the Atlanta airport, there are a lot of people in the Atlanta airport all in the same place eating their Cinnabons or whatever they're doing. But they're not all headed to the same place. And the destination and the direction that they're going in is more significant than where they are at that given time. You need to turn to God and trust in him for the direction of your life. I have a friend who's in his 80s. He was an executive with Pratt Whitney. And he oversaw hundreds of engineers. And he was telling me one time that a major part of his job was coordinating with the government or businesses when they needed to meet with the team who designed something on one of their planes. And so they would get to the point where the only solution they had was to go back to the engineers, the ones who designed it, to see how it was supposed to run and then work through the problems from there. Today there is one who designed marriage and who designed you. And you keep trying to make adjustments but at this point, the only solution is to go back to the one who made it. And if you don't, the consequences could be destructive. 
Here's the thing you need to understand, though. My friend made a lot of money for himself and a lot of money for his company because they would pay a lot for him to consult them. It was worth it to them because what they had was so valuable. But imagine if they had the product, they had the planes, and they'd actually never paid for it. So basically, they stole it. And then they didn't know how to fully use it. And now, you call the designers because you don't know what to do, and it's your only hope. And you owed them a ton of money, and you had no means to pay them for it, but you wanted their help. This is us and God. We have essentially taken our lives, taken our marriages, which he designed, without giving him the credit that he deserves for it, what we owe him, and then we come back and say, we need your help, God. How arrogant is that? Even if you're crying. And we owe God more than several million dollars for a plane part. We owe him holiness. But what God says to us when we call to him is that I never run out of resources and I have designed you and I do have a purpose for your life and for your marriage and for everything and I have paid your debt and I'm inviting you to have a relationship with me and I want to help you solely because of who I am. And that is too good to be true if he were not God. And you might find yourself in a place today where things are broken in your life, things are broken in your marriage, and when you look in the mirror of marriage or any relationship and see your brokenness, remember the perfect love of Christ for you. When you look into the mirror of marriage or any relationship and it shows you how broken you are, what I hope you will see is the cross of Jesus Christ and his love for you. This is what motivates us to change. And perhaps this morning you're here and you're in this place of brokenness and you're all alone in your marriage or you're all alone outside of your marriage where you never thought you would be. You are not alone. God has invited you to walk with him. I can't assure you of what will happen in the days that unfold, but I can assure you that he is there for you. And if you're in a marriage and both you and your spouse want the definition and direction, sorry about that map there, you want that, a husband and wife have the incredible privilege of showing each other how valuable they are to God. We have that incredible privilege of showing each other that and allowing that to fuel our home and the lives we live together. That's the grace of God on our life. I was in India a little while ago and we were in a pretty remote part of India and uh, we had a detour. We we're trying to get out of this village to go somewhere and we had a detour. I'll just leave it there. And, and so we're kind of trying to go a back way and the people we're with don't, aren't familiar with the area. They don't know where we're going. And so we did what anyone should do when they're in a strange place and they don't know how to get somewhere. You find an old man. And we found this old man and we asked him, you know, about how to get where we're trying to go. And you know what he said? He said, don't you have a mobile device? 
And I just could not stop busting out laughing that here we are in a remotest part of the earth and this old man just says, get out your phone and type in the address you're trying to go to and it'll help you. And I just thought, this is incredibly profound because this man does know how to tell us where to go. He does know so much about this area. And he was saying, you have the answer right in your hand. I'm not trying to oversimplify this. The brokenness, the lostness, the detours, the construction, the heartache, the answer's right here. God loves you and he's given you his word. Trust in him. He designed it. He wants his will. He wants to work in and through you. Trust him. Father, I thank you that by the mercies of God, we can come to you and ask for your help. And you're faithful. You're faithful to us. You're faithful, and we know that most clearly because how your faithfulness was demonstrated and your sacrifice for us on the cross and the proving of your authority in the resurrection of the grave. And that's the same God that we come to now and ask for help. I pray for my brothers and sisters who feel alone, that they would turn to you, that they would desperately depend on you. I pray for the couples in here who know they're in a season of challenge and difficulty. God, I pray that they would turn to you together, letting you shape them first and then working together for what you've called them to. God, use your word and your spirit to strengthen your people for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name.